G'day everyone, I'm your host Stephen, and welcome to another episode of the Bamboo History Podcast. For those of you who don't know what the Bamboo History Podcast is, the Bamboo History Podcast is a podcast on Chinese and East Asian history. If you like this type of content, please subscribe to my podcast right now and follow my Instagram at Bamboo History Podcast. Additionally, we've also got a new website as well, where you can also access the podcast and also a blog on extra Chinese and East Asian history. The website is bamboohistorypodcast.com. In today's episode, we've got a very distinguished guest who will be talking to us. His name is Anson Leitner. He's a rabbi and he's currently the president of the Sino-Judaic Institute, an organization that focuses on the study of the ancient Jewish communities in China, as well as the fostering of Chinese-Jewish relations and cultural exchanges. Anson is currently retired, but he used to work as a programs coordinator at Seattle University. He is also an author, and he's written books such as The Chinese Jews of Kaifeng and Arguing with God, a Jewish Tradition. And he's currently writing a book right now. Now, some of you must be wondering, why have I invited a rabbi to talk about Chinese history? Well, it's because he's come onto the show to talk about a relatively unknown but everlasting community of Jewish people that have lived in China, and specifically the city of Kaifeng, K-A-I-F-E-N-G, for over a thousand years. That's right, Chinese Jews. I know, right? It blew my mind when I first heard about it. So I was really excited when Anson answered my call to come onto the show to talk about it. So, without further ado... Let's get straight into today's episode to talk about the Kaifeng Jews. The following discussion was recorded in a Zoom meeting, so the audio quality may not be as top-notch as the usual audio you've been listening to. Please bear this in mind. So, it's great to have you on the show today, Anson. Thank you so much for joining. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Before we dived into the conversation about the topic today that we're talking about, the Kaifeng Jews, uh, would you be able to just briefly introduce yourself and what got you into the study of Kaifeng Jews? Sure. Well, let's see, I'm... First generation Canadian, um, my parents are both Jewish, and they and their families came from Poland originally, just between World War I and World War II. At university, I was majoring in Chinese studies, and this is at York University in Toronto. And the library, the, the school has a library, East Asian library, and I was wandering through the stacks one day, And lo and behold, there was this big, fat book about four or five centimeters wide uh, called Chinese Jews. And I did a double take. It's like, Chinese Jews? I've never heard of such a thing. And so I pulled out the book and started looking at it. And it turns out it was written by Bishop 
White, who was a, a Canadian Anglican uh, priest, and he was a missionary in Kaifeng for many decades and had worked with the Kaifeng Jews and came back and wrote this book, also took a lot of their artifacts with him from Kaifeng, and they're now in the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. But that was my introduction to the subject. Then in 1973, I was on the first Canada-China student exchange program and was based in Beijing and wanted to go visit Kaifeng and meet Kaifeng Jews. And unfortunately, China was still at the tail end of the Cultural Revolution. So when I asked to go visit Kaifeng, they said, you cannot, it's a closed city. So that ended my attempt to visit Kaifeng. But because one of the professors that had interviewed me to go to China was a uh, Jewish Canadian professor, he had been to Kaifeng in 1957 and told me about his visit there. And basically he, he went to Kaifeng and they said, the authorities said, there are no Jews, there are no Jews, um, but he persisted. And then finally they introduced him to an old couple and he had a nice chat with them. And so he told me that story. And later on, uh, a man by the name of Michael Pollock who wrote a wonderful book on the Chinese Jews called Mandarin's Jews and Missionaries. He was doing research and connected with me, and I told him the story about this professor who visited in 1957, which was very unusual uh, to have visited in that time. And he just stayed in touch with me. And even though I was just a student, he invited me to be part of the founding group of the Sino-Judaic Institute. And that was back in 1985 or 86. And I've been involved ever since. And now I'm an old man and the president. It's very impressive. And um, I did see a photo of you um, on your website posing when you were in China. And I was glad to see that the, the handsome looks have uh, stayed up until now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess going on to the topic of uh, researching about Kaifeng Jews, during your stay in China, I guess, what was the attitudes of the Kaifeng Jews at the time by, I guess, the Chinese government and the majority, uh, I guess, Chinese people? Oh, when I was living, when I was studying yeah. there? Okay. Well, first of all, the Chinese people that I met were uniformly very friendly about towards Jews. They had very positive attitudes. When I would say, oh, I'm Jewish, they would say, oh, Einstein, Marx, both Jewish. So that was, <laughs> and in some cases, that was all they knew. It was a communist country. Um, Israel and China did not have diplomatic relations for another 20 some years. So they had virtually no contact with Jewish people. Um, but they were very curious. They said, oh, Jews, well, nowadays they will say, oh, Jews are highly educated, hardworking, uh, good with money and business, um, all of those things. Um, and so it's a very positive attitude. When it comes to Kaifeng Jews, um, most Chinese people have never heard about Kaifeng Jews, just like I hadn't ever heard about Kaifeng Jews. And so they're surprised to find out, or 
They may know about the European Jewish communities that lived on China's coast up until the end of the Second World War, but they never knew that there was an almost indigenous community of Jews living in Kaifeng. Um, so they're very curious to find that out. Like you, I was surprised. Like, wow, I, I didn't know community like that existed for over a thousand years. And I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of the listeners of my podcast also don't know as well. So to kick it off, would you be able to introduce to all of us who the Kaifeng Jews are, or where they came from, and what type of community they are? Sure. So their origins are lost in the, the swirls of, of time. Um, they have stories about where they come from. Part of the problem is that the terms that they use to describe where they came from are not modern terms. So um, when they say uh, Tenju or something, it means the east, um, I'm sorry, the, the west somewhere, but we don't know where. But scholars believe based on some of the terms that they use themselves in Kaifeng that they were originally from uh, what is today Iran. So Iran, Iran, Iraq, that area. Yeah. And for a long time, they thought that the Kaifeng Jews originally were merchants who came to trade with China because China um, at the time was the world's greatest country. Europe was in the dark ages and China was a glorious civilization. So these merchants came to China two ways. They used to think that they came mostly along the Silk Route, over land and over the mountains and through the deserts to Xi'an and then eventually to Kaifeng. Problem with that theory is that that the Silk Route was not always open. Um, There were wars, there were bandits, and so it it could be problematic at different times. Plus, it ended in Xi'an, and then you had many hundreds, if not thousands of kilometers to go between Xi'an and Kaifeng. It's more likely, we believe now, that the merchants originally came along what's called the, the, sea, the sea Silk Route. So through the sea around India, through Southeast Asia, and up to the Chinese coast. And in fact, there used to be Jewish settlements town, not towns, like, you know, Jewish settlements in the cities along China's coast, Ningbo, Chuanzhou, uh, Hangzhou, those places. And then these merchants would then take the Grand Canal inland towards Kaifeng, hit the Yellow River, and that would take them right into Kaifeng. And so that's how they came to Kaifeng. We think they came in the Northern Sung period, although some scholars will say they came in the Tang Dynasty, some will even say they came in the Han Dynasty, but we know for sure that by 1123, I think the date is, that they were given permission to build their first synagogue. So that meant, obviously, that there were enough Jews living in Kaifeng to create a community and to have enough members and enough prosperity that they could build a synagogue and when you raise the fact that people aren't sure when exactly they first came to china is that from also the kaifeng jews themselves do they know themselves when exactly they first came like through i guess passing down of their ancestors and 
all that? They do not. In fact, they they have. There are four uh, stone steely, big memorial stones, and each one tells a slightly different version of when they came. And the more recent the stone, the more further back in time they trace their ancestry. So the first one says that they came sometime after 960. The later ones say, oh, they came earlier and earlier and earlier. So they're trying just to establish their credentials as a long living community in China, almost indigenous. Oh, okay. And when the Kaifeng Jews arrived in Kaifeng, how did they establish themselves? And did they just coexist with the majority Han Chinese normally? And were there instances of discrimination or whatnot? Um, how did What was their life like after they settled down in China? Sure. So China has the distinction of having a Jewish community that has never really been persecuted. Wow. Um, and that makes it very different than the Jews of, say, Europe or uh, the Middle East. Um, yeah. So in Kaifeng, the Jews settled down. They became merchants. They became uh, craftsmen, doctors, that sort of thing. They took Chinese wives. And so over time, they became racially Chinese or Han, I guess. Um, Kaifeng has a population, also a, a lot of Muslim Chinese, the Hui Muslim. And so for the non-Muslim, non-Jewish Chinese people in Kaifeng, they said that the Jews were the blue hat Hui and the Muslims were the white hat Hui. And they kept, you know, very similar kinds of customs. They both have a form of keeping kosher. They both have similar kinds of ideas about God and worship and things like that. So they're very almost interchangeable in the popular mind. But other than... I think there's one piece of legislation in the Yuan dynasty which um, singled out Jews and Muslims um, for criticism in terms of how they would slaughter their animals. Other than that one piece of legislation, never any history of persecution or discrimination or anything. And so China should be very proud and Chinese people should be very proud of that. That is quite impressive that mm -hmm. over a thousand years have passed and there haven't been instances of discrimination like that and it's interesting to note that with the yuan dynasty that was actually controlled by the mongols that's right <laughs> and during that period of time the majority han chinese were discriminated as well they had i think they had a caste system in which the mm -hmm. han chinese themselves the majority were at the bottom so the fact that the legislation was enacted for those for those jews in terms of slaughtering the animals or whatnot you know that was more so for the by the ruling mongols rather than the mm -hmm. the majority you know, Han Chinese. Yeah. Interesting. And certainly when the Mongols were thrown out and, and the Ming dynasty came into being, that's when the, the Kaifeng Jewish community was at its peak. You know, they, a number of them applied for uh, the civil service and rose pretty high up, a number of them in, in the uh, bureaucracy. They were given grants to rebuild and enlarge the temple. So they were doing very well in the Ming Dynasty. And in your article, I did note that uh, it was during that period of time, during the Ming Dynasty, 
that was when the Jews in Kaifeng were conferred uh, Chinese surnames. And it came upon a, a certain event where you, you mentioned there was a Jewish, was either a doctor or a soldier who had done something beneficial for the government. Do you know more about that? Uh, what sort of story was behind that? Yes. Um, as I understand it, and there's several different versions of the same story, but the version that I understand it, again, they don't know whether this man was a doctor or a soldier. It sounds more like he was a soldier. His name was Ansan, and he heard about a potential rebellion against the emperor and told, I guess, someone and the rebellion was put down or or uh, subverted and as reward ansan was allowed to be given a chinese surname of zhao and soon thereafter other chinese jewish families were also given chinese surnames so today we talk about seven surnames and eight families or eight clans and as I understand it, if you have one of these surnames and you're from Kaifeng, then chances are you are of Jewish descent. Oh, okay. Wow. And during that period of time then, did they develop a unique, I guess I'm asking this because I know that in, in Europe, the Ashkenazi Jews, they developed Yiddish. Yeah, German, uh, did, yeah. did that happen in Kaifeng as well? Did they develop a sort of language that sort of mixed Chinese and uh, Hebrew? Not that we know of. Um, their, some of their surviving manuscripts um, are a mix of Hebrew and Chinese characters. But to the best of our knowledge, we don't know of any mixed language. But they did mix in other ways. Um, they took... Chinese religious and philosophical ideas and combined them with Jewish concepts and came up with a yeah. very unique point of view. Yeah, and I, I read that in your article that you were trying to discover, um, I guess, how they were able to mix those two together. And I believe you made a comparison with Jews in Europe and how it was a lot harder for them to blend their ideas with European ideas, but it was a lot easier uh, for them to do it in China. Uh, mm -hmm. What was what was an example of how the Jews in Kaifeng were able to blend their ideas with Chinese you know, philosophies and ways of thinking? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, first of all, I, I wanted to um, mention <clears throat> that Jews, wherever they have lived, have tended to, to do that, absorb ideas and customs from the outside culture. And even though like, we like to pretend that everything is the way it was done exactly the way our ancestors did it. In fact, we've always been blending things. So uh, the rabbis in the classical period, when Jews lived in, in Judea, took ideas from Hellenistic civilization and incorporated them into the Judaism of their time. Jews in medieval Europe wrote and thought very much like European Christians. Jews in Muslim countries in North Africa the same. So the same thing happened in China. What made it easier was several, two things. First of all, China is very welcoming of other ideas. Uh, and so whereas in, in Europe or in, or in the Middle East, the ideas of God 
in religion is like, we have the truth. No, we have the truth. No, we have the truth. So it's very hard to, to say, well, we're going to take some of your truth and some of your truth and come up with our own truth. In China, it's like you can be Buddhist and Confucian, following Confucius and Taoist, and that's okay. And so it was much more welcoming of ideas. And consequently, the Jews could say, okay, well, we also are going to be welcoming and take these ideas and put them in our own context. But um, for me, some of the biggest examples were that in Hebrew, one of the names or the pseudonyms for God is Shamayim, which means heaven or sky. And in Chinese, Tian is the same kind of, has the same dual meaning. It means heaven. It can also be a, a referral to, to some kind of, of divinity. And so the Jews are able to use that in, the, in their own uh, discussions about God, for example. And as you've mentioned so far, uh, the Jews, they were able to coexist relatively peacefully alongside the majority Chinese for a long time. But obviously not all things are, you know, well and good. And they did get to a point, especially during the 19th century, um, where there were some disasters which, you know, forced them to, you know, change the way they live. And one thing I, I found really interesting in your article was that there hasn't been a rabbi amongst the Kaifung Jews community for, you know, almost 200 years. Yes. Like, yeah. Why is, like, what happened there? And, you know, mm -hmm. how's that affected how they've been able to learn and practice their religion? Okay. So one of the things that happened in, in the Ming Dynasty, towards the end of the Ming Dynasty, was that the Jesuits and other non-Chinese people were expelled from China. Um, they got into a, a controversy with the emperor and the emperor was like, that's it, you guys out. <laughs> yeah. So, so that ended contact between the Jews of Kaifeng and the rest of the world. And so that was the beginning of the isolation. Then you had a series of troubles that... Um, the Taiping Rebellion in the middle of the 19th century ravaged that part of China. Uh, many people fled Kaifeng. There was also uh, a number of natural disasters with the, the uh, flooding of Kaifeng and the destruction of the temple and the Jewish synagogue and the rebuilding and the destruction again. I think all in all, the synagogue was destroyed five or six times. Jeez. Um, and each time it was rebuilt. So as long as the community had contact with the outside world, it was getting uh, kind of like infusion of new energy and education and stuff. Once it got isolated, it was increasingly hard for it to maintain itself. Um, so yes, the, the last rabbi died in the early 1800s. And from that point on, the Kaifeng community's Jewish content, if I can use that expression, went down and down and down and down until by the time you get to the middle of the 20th century, the only thing that people had to transmit from one generation to the next were some customs um, that they remembered like their grandparents doing, like 
My grandparents used to slaughter a chicken and put blood on the doorposts of the house at the time of the spring festival. We don't do that, but that's what my grandfather used to do, that kind of thing. Um, or the other thing that they passed along was just the fact that they were Jewish. So no content at all other than to tell their children, you are Chinese Jews. Don't forget that and tell your children they are Chinese Jews. So when China opened up in the 1980s um, and Western people were starting to be able to go visit them again, um, that's exactly what we found, that, that by and large, they had no content to their Jewishness other than the sense of ethnic identity. I'm curious now. So during the time before all those disasters happened in the 1800s, had the Jewish people in Kaifeng been receiving knowledge and all that from the Europeans? Is that what they were doing to sort of keep their traditions and their religion alive? Was that, was that it? I don't think from Europeans. I think probably more likely from um, Jews from uh, Central Asia. Also, they had been migrating intermittently throughout those years into right. and travelers and merchants and things like that coming in. Oh, yes. okay. And then at a certain point in that history, it stopped. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And in recent times, what have been some efforts by the Kaifeng Jews then to try and, you know, promote that side of them again to revive that, um, the Jewish culture and the religion uh, that they once had a long time ago, but has been lost. Mm -hmm. So in fact, it's been a mutual process of discovery and education. So for those of us in outside of China, uh, we were very curious about the Kaifeng Jews. Like, do they still exist? Are they interested in learning more about who they are, where they come from? Um, that sort of thing. And for the Kaifeng Jews, it was like, at long last, we have an opportunity to educate ourselves about the Jewish side of our history and culture. So there was this meeting of minds um, starting in the 1980s, where um, the Kaifeng Jews had a real thirst for knowledge. And then when the internet was invented, um, then... <laughs> then, you know, the Chinese Jews were able to access all kinds of materials yep. online. And, and, and organizations like ours, the Sino-Judaic Institute, had materials translated into Chinese. We eventually sent young Chinese-speaking Jewish men to Kaifeng as teachers. Uh, and another organization called Shave Israel tried to help bring some young Kaifeng Jews to Israel to study, and some of them returned home to Kaifang, some of them stayed in Israel, but so there was this opening up of exchange. One question I had in relation to identity as well, and I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this, it also comes to my unique experience of being like a Chinese-Australian, and often when I go overseas, for, for instance, when I tell people I'm Australian, sometimes people don't really believe that I am, <laughs> because they look at my face and go, you don't yeah, are you sure you're Australian and all that? Mm -hmm. And so one thing that's curious to me is with Kaifeng Jews, because they're a relatively unknown uh, group of Jewish people and they're not, I guess, considered, you know, quote unquote mainstream, you know, unlike Jewish people in Europe 
or mm-hmm. in the Middle East or in America, how are their interactions like with, I guess, the larger populations of Jewish people and the diaspora? Do Jewish people in America, do Jewish people in Europe, uh, how do they view Kaifung Jews? Do they have a sense of disbelief in that there's there could possibly be Jewish people that existed for a thousand years in China? And do Kaifung Jews feel that sometimes they aren't recognised as Jewish people? What are your thoughts of that? And mm-hmm. you know, yes, um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's a common problem. There is definitely in the Jewish world um, a bias towards European and Middle Eastern looking Jews, even though intellectually uh, Jews today know that there were Jews in Africa, like especially Ethiopia. Uh, There are Jews in India who look Indian. Jews have intermarried wherever they lived. Um, So intellectually, we understand that. But in point of fact, whether you are in North America or even if you're in Israel, there's a kind of bias to thinking that Jews should look a certain way. And so, yes, the Kaifeng Jews are, would be looked at as a curiosity uh, by the more majority-type Jews. Um, and in fact, in Israel, um, they're often met with a lot of surprise, like, what, you're Jewish? They're often yeah. confused because Israel has a, a fair number of uh, Thai people working there. So Kaifeng Jews are often mistaken for being Thai workers. And then they kind of say, no, I'm Jeez. Jewish. And, yeah. they, and they're kind of like, oh, show me. And so how? Yeah. People, they want to hear them say a Jewish prayer or say something in Hebrew or something, you know, so it, it is, it, it, it can be, you know, going from curiosity to outright prejudice and everything in between. But I mean, I, I had the same thing being um, a Canadian Jew when I went to China for the first time and I was a student there um, and they would say, where are you from? And I'd say, I'm from Canada. And they look at me, you know, going, well, I, I used to have black hair and my skin's yeah. a little darker. And they said, you don't look Canadian. So where are, you, <laughs> where are your people from? And I would say, well, well, my family comes from Poland. They said, well, you don't look Polish. What are you? So it's, it's a common problem. Yeah, I've th- I've had to make that sort of explanation before as well. Yeah. And when you were in China, how was your interactions with the Kaifeng Jews? Like, did you did you meet a lot of them? Did you make any, like, lasting friendships? Mm-hmm. What, was, what was it like for you? So in... My one and only visit to Kaifeng took place in, um, I think, 2009. And I was there for, uh, I think, more than two weeks, approximately, just in Kaifeng. And I had very good interactions um, with the Kaifeng community. We had uh, a conference room at one of the hotels and we had a, a number of big meetings talking about their future and what they needed. I was fed and we went to restaurants together and had uh, wonderful meals. And, and yes, I do have some friends uh, now in Kaifang and I correspond with them. And so 
That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And before we wrap up on our conversation, I was, I was just curious, are there some things about Kaifung Jews that you still don't know about or you hoped you wanted to learn more about or you want to learn more in the future about? Well, sadly, I think the thing that I'm most curious about is their ancient religion, which none of them know. Um, but I would I would have been very curious to be able to meet a Kaifeng Jew, say, from the Ming Dynasty, and to hear from him or her how they actually lived as Jews in a Chinese culture. Did they pray the same as Jews in other parts of the world, or did they pray in a different way? You know, what customs did they do compared to the customs that we do? All of that stuff is, is lost now, uh, both to us and to the Kaifeng Jews, unfortunately. Um, and none of them have written anything down no, relating curious, to that? No, um, because the, you know that's already centuries old. What's curious is, much as I don't care for Christian missionizing, um, because Jews around the world have been kind of preyed upon by Christian missionaries, in the case of, of Chinese Jews, we have to thank the Jesuit missionaries for visiting Kaifeng and preserving, writing down records of how the community lived to the best of, of their knowledge. Um, and yes. those, they drew pictures of the synagogue. They drew pictures of the Kaifeng Jews at worship. Um, and they described as best they could everything. And so thanks to the Jesuits, we know a little bit about how the Kaifeng Jews lived at their peak. And I do know, and I've actually done an episode recently, that it was uh, Li Ma Dou or Matteo Ricci. I, mm -hmm. He was a Jesuit priest during the Ming Dynasty. And I think he was one of the first ones that actually made contact with them and found he, out about this uh, yes, mysterious he, he community. Was, he was the very first uh, European to discover the Kaifeng yeah. Jews. Actually, he was discovered by a Kaifeng Jew oh, all right. in Beijing who had heard that there were there was a foreigner living in Beijing who worshipped one god like he did. Um, and so he said, well, I have to meet this man. And so he knocked on Matteo Ricci's door and, and introduced himself. And they had a, a very humorous uh, miscommunication where the Kaifeng Jew, Aitian, thought that Ricci was a Jew, and Ricci thought that Aiten was a Chinese Christian. And it <laughs> kind of went back and forth until they realized that they were both wrong. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It is. Uh, but yeah, I think that basically wraps up our conversation about the Kaifeng Jews. Uh, was there anything you wanted to add, though, before we wrapped up about um, what all of us should learn about the Kaifeng Jews and what we should do just so we can spread the message and have more people, you know, knowing about this mysterious community? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think it's important for people to know about this community. I think it's especially important for Chinese people, whether in China or in the Chinese diaspora, to know about this community and to take some pride in the fact that that their Jewish community was never persecuted. And I, I think the, the last thing I would like to say is that I am 
truly amazed at the strength of Jewish identity that these people, as you say, have been without a rabbi for 200 years. And during that 200 years have survived civil war and famine and floods and, per, and not persecution against themselves as Jews, but just, you know, rough times and survived and passed along this sense of identity from one generation to the next. And here they are in our time, kind of like an endangered species, if you will. So I feel it, it's our duty to help them get back on their feet. And that sort of resilience that they've shown yes. over all these years is something that we can all take a leaf out of. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Anson, for coming onto the show to talk about Kaifung Jews. I've really learned a lot from you during our talk, and you've obviously traveled and researched extensively on this topic. And so, yeah, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. You're very welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. And to all our listeners, be sure to check out his website and all his publications. I'll leave a link in the description uh, box below. So thank you so much, Anson. And hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Okay. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, that's it. That's the end of today's episode and discussion with Anson Leitner about the history of Kaifung Jews. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And I wanted to thank Anson again for coming on to the show and providing great insight into this ancient Jewish community in China. Before you all go, don't forget to please subscribe to my podcast, check out my website, and follow my Instagram. I urge everyone to contact me with feedback, topic suggestions, or if you just want to come onto my show to learn or discuss a Chinese or East Asian history topic. I'll leave all my contact details in the description box below. Okay, it's time to go now. Thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>